0: Hey, this is Steve Campbell from the C3 Church. Thank you for joining us for this podcast. Our prayer for you is that you'll be blessed, equipped and enabled as you listen to this message. God bless you. Well, today is a special and unique message for all of you who are watching online and joining us online. We're filming this here from our Cambridge location and this is part of our December series that we've been doing, especially for the online audience. I'm going to speak today at this Christmas season, it's the week before Christmas, on the subject of hope. Hope is in really short supply these days. We've just held a general election here in the UK and hope was not high on the agenda. There are lots of situations every day when you listen to the news or read the news. There are so many seemingly hopeless situations and so we think it's a really important message to speak about and I want to raise your attention and expectation towards hope and to particularly focus us in on the hope that Jesus brings. I'm going to read a couple of scriptures to you which speak about hope this is from Isaiah chapter 40 verse 31 it says this but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength they will soar on wings like eagles they will run and not grow weary they will walk and not be faint that's Isaiah 40 31. Psalm 147 verse 11 says this the Lord delights in those who fear him who put their hope in his unfailing love and then this beautiful passage which the apostle Paul wrote to the church in Rome Romans 15 11 to 13 says this praise the Lord All you Gentiles, that's all uh, non-Jews. Let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse, that's speaking of Jesus, will spring up one who will arise to rule over the nations. In him, the Gentiles will hope. May the God of hope, there's so many times he mentions hope here. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit so hope is a power that comes by the Holy Spirit without hope it's impossible to have the joy and peace that we need without hope the Bible tells us it's impossible to have faith this is Hebrews 11 verse 1 now faith is the substance of things hoped for the evidence of things not seen if we want faith We must have the foundation of hope, which it's built upon. Faith needs the bedrock of hope if we're to receive and live in the good that God has for us. If you lose hope, your faith will quickly crumble away. Now, we're in the Christmas season and a lot of hope, as we understand it in natural terms, surrounds a lot of what we will do. What are you hoping for for a Christmas present, if you're hoping for any Will you be disappointed? You're hoping for fill in the blank. Um, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. Bing Crosby, what are you dreaming of? What are you hoping for? The chances of a white Christmas here in Cambridge, UK, are quite remote. I just checked it on the weather app before I came out. I think there's a 25% chance of it snowing on Christmas Day. Likely it's going to be rainy, cold, 2 degrees C, something like that very little. So my hope might be for a white Christmas, but it probably isn't going to happen. What about calories? Here in the UK, again, the food we eat at Christmas is very rich, very full of calories. I'm hoping I won't put on weight over the Christmas period. What about you? And what about more urgently and seriously in our world? So many hopeless situations, so many circumstances where when we look and we see there's not a lot of hope some problems in the world that it seems hopeless climate change now there is some hope there but nations war against one another still disquiet in many regions of the world and tension in a world drowning in the sea of negativity we need hope hope so what is, what is hope? Well, let me explain it more in this way, what hope does for us. Hope gives us energy. It causes, one of my favourite definitions years ago I read was, it causes us to stand on tiptoe, to look over and look forward. One of the best definitions I've heard in relation to Bible hope is this future, yes, yet certain expectation of good. So it's not in the sweet by and by. It's in the future, but it's still certain. Hope is certain from a biblical perspective. Hope sees the light at the end of the tunnel. Hope stands on tiptoe. Hope sees good around the corner. Another definition by someone says, hope is desire accompanied by expectation. Rick Warren, a pastor, some of you may have heard of from the United States, suggests this. He says, you can go 40 days without food, and three days without water, and you can go eight minutes without air, but you can't go a single second without hope. Hope is one of the essentials of life. Hope is, if it's gone, then life is over. You need hope to cope. People have um, in the past kind of said to me, uh, you raise people's hope and expectations. It's because I know they'll live a better life if they do. We all need hope. The Apostle Paul wrote this, Colossians 1, verse 3 to 6. It says this, Faith and love that spring from hope stored up for you in heaven. Faith and love that spring from hope. It's like hope is the root out of which faith and love can find fruitfulness. It's a foundation for everything else. I think it was Rick Warren who told this story about a man called Roy Sullivan. Roy Sullivan was struck by lightning seven times in his life. Now the likelihood of that happening to one person is really remote. Chances of being struck by lightning just for once are 300,000 to one in in your life. He was struck seven times. Between 30 and 60 people are hit every year with an average of three dying as a result of being hit by a lightning bolt. But at 71, this poor guy killed himself because of a broken relationship. He'd seemingly lived a charmed life, surviving lightning strikes. But when hope had gone because of a broken relationship, one of the luckiest men alive hope Rick Warren goes on to talk about some research that was done where 25,000 prisoners of war over an extended period of time were examined were talked to were counseled where research was done on them and to see what hope did to them and he discovered this the 25,000 prisoners of wars There was one group of men on whom the experience of being a POW had no effect at all. In spite of brutality, in spite of torture, in spite of solitary confinement, there's one group it didn't face. No post-traumatic stress, no illness afterwards. They didn't suffer flashbacks and such like. They handled it well and went on to live relatively healthy lives. And you know what the one common denominator was? Every single of these one of these men had hope. Hope makes all the difference in the life, Rick Warren says. My experience in life has been this. For me, for others, that there is a very real devil. The Bible says in John 10 that he comes to rob, kill and destroy. But he, one of his main tactics is to rob us of hope. We'll all get disappointed in life. If you've never been disappointed, then get ready, it's going to happen. All of us get disappointed. It could be someone says, we're going to meet you somewhere. It could be a disappointment in a relationship. It could be a dream that you had, disappointments. It's what we do with that disappointment which determines whether we go to the next step, which is uh, despair. And I honestly believe there's a devil who wants to cause us to be disappointed, but rather if he can get us to stay in the land of despair, it won't just stay there, it'll lead to defeat. He wants to rob, kill, and destroy you. So we have to make sure disappointment's gonna happen. How are we gonna handle it so as we don't end up in despair? Despair is a killer. It drains life and energy out of us. If the devil comes to rob, kill, and destroy, then we can be sure God comes to give us life, to give us life abundant and to give us all good things. That's his nature. Over Christmas, um, inevitably for my household, we're going to play a board game or two because my wife loves it. There's always a groan that goes up in the house, but somehow she gets away and we enjoy playing some kind of board game. My favourite, because I usually win uh, in our house, is drafts, or some of you might call it checkers. It's simple, uh, it's short, it's fast, but there's a close connected cousin to drafts, which I've tried to learn to play, and some of you probably play it, it's the game of chess. Chess is played on the same kind of ball, but chess is strategic, it can take a long time, you have to think about the processes, and I've I've never quite mastered it. I got a little of an inkling how to play but I'm not that good. But I do know this. The primary objective in chess is to checkmate your opponent's king. When the king cannot avoid capture, then it's checkmated and the game is over. When the king is hemmed in, unprotected, nowhere to go, then you can guarantee the game is finished. And that's exactly what the game, the the devil wants to do with you in the game of life. If he can trap you where you feel you've nowhere to go, in other words, hope is gone, then we're very close to game over. But I'd like to tell you something different. And in fact, we're gonna play a little game here online. I'm gonna say a few phrases and as I say them, I'd like you to respond with this little phrase, I don't think so. Wherever you are, you might be at home, might be watching this in the bedroom. I guess if you're in a coffee shop somewhere watching this, you probably best not to shout this out, but please play along with me. I'm gonna tell you some scenarios where the devil might scream, it's all over. You think he's saying his checkmate, But I want you to just say it out loud. I don't think so. When you think there's nowhere to go. I'm saying this because I honestly believe if God is for us, who can be against us? There's always hope. Maybe some of you have been to a doctor recently. And the doctor's given you some kind of diagnosis or prognosis. And you are looking at what's an impossible situation. So in other words, the devil is saying to you, checkmate. Here's my suggestion. Say, I don't think so. Some of you may have had some bad news about a relationship that you're in. It may seem like it's all over. There's nowhere it can go. It's finished, but you don't want it to finish. But the hope is draining away. The devil's saying to you, it's over. Here's my suggestion. I'd say, I don't think so. Maybe a married couple that are watching and involving, involving themselves with us online. And actually, others have said to you, you've been to marriage counselling. The counsellor said, there's nothing else I can say to you. I've said all I can say, your marriage is over. People are saying to you, I want to say to you that you should say this. I don't think so. Because there's always hope with God. The bank may seize your assets. You may be declared bankrupt. That's it. What am I what are we gonna do now? How am I family gonna think? They're gonna reject me. Uh-uh. I don't think so. See, the situations in the Bible, time and time again, where it looks like it's over, but God comes through. Moses standing with the people of Israel before the Red Sea. They've escaped from Egypt. They're being closely followed by the Egyptians. And the Israelites are saying to Moses, have you brought us here to die? And he looks to God and effectively says, I don't think so. There's a way forward and he strikes the water and God performs a miracle. Though Pharaoh is pursuing them, the children of Israel get through the water and Egypt behind them drowns. There are people in the Bible time and time again where it's a hopeless situation, but God comes through for them because heaven always has an escape. Heaven is always, grace is always enough for us. You can start again. Listen to this verse, 2 Corinthians 5.13. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. I want you to agree with that, that if anyone is in Christ, if you are in Christ, which is the way the Apostle Paul describes, describes a Christian more than any other way, we're in Christ, we're hid in him, we're protected by him. We're new creations, we have to think differently. The old is gone, the new has come. And your destiny doesn't depend on the situation that you're facing. Your destiny depends on who you agree with. And my recommendation is always agree with God and who he says you are there's one bible story that for me maybe demonstrates hope more than any other it involves jesus with his good friend lazarus i think i first had this in the way i'm going to present it by john orberg a few years ago and it's kind of stuck with me if you know the bible story it's where mary and martha and lazarus three brother and sisters are very close friends of jesus in fact If Jesus ever wanted any time to chill out, to relax, it's time he spent with them. They somehow refreshed his his soul. And their house is in Bethany, which was a, a kind of suburb of Jerusalem. And when Jesus went to Jerusalem, he would generally stay with them. And at one time, they'd not seen him for a while because the last time Jesus had been there, there'd been a little bit of an uprising and the people in that area had tried to stone him. So Jesus moved away from there. So he's somewhere else and he gets a message that Lazarus is really sick. In fact, life-threateningly sick. The doctors said, there's nothing more we can do. Checkmate. And the message gets through and his sisters are absolutely besides themselves. They are desperate that Lazarus could be healed. So they only have one hope. Just one hope. Jesus. So they sent a word to Jesus. This is John chapter 11 verse 3. It says this, Lord, the one you love is sick. The one you love. It doesn't even name him. There was a close relationship between Lazarus and Jesus. The one you love is sick. So I don't think there's any manipulation going on here. They knew Jesus healed people he'd never met before. He met people who weren't for him, people who were against him, people who were following him just for what they could get out of it. He healed everyone who came to him, one of the verses says in the scripture. But this is someone special. This is Lazarus. So they know Jesus can heal. He's done it for all kinds of people, total strangers. But this isn't a stranger. This is the one Jesus loves. Jesus, he's sick. Jesus, rather, Lazarus is sick. Jesus, come and heal him. This is what it says in verse five and six of John 11. Yet, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. What a strange response. If someone was to call me and say, I need your help, a very close friend. My response, I hope, would be, I'll come as soon as I can. Uh, Anything I can cancel, I'll be there to help. This is the one Jesus loved. So you say, I'll be there, right? But look, it says, when he heard this, he stayed where he was two more days. We don't always understand what God is up to. But he does. He knows. Jesus knew why he was staying two more days. He wasn't panicked by the situation. Your situation may seem hopeless. God never panics. Someone once said about God's timing, he's never late. He's never early. He's always right on time. It's one of his most annoying attributes. God's timing is perfect. And so Lazarus is still sick. Jesus says, I'm going to stay a few more days. Mary and Martha don't know why this is happening. It seems very strange. Until a few days later, he says to his disciples, this is John 11:7. 7. Let's go back to Judea, where Jerusalem and Bethany is. Uh, and I'll go and see Lazarus. Or I'll go back to the house of Mary and Martha. And this is what they say to him. The disciples say, Rabbi, teacher, a short while ago, the religious leaders tried to stone you. And yet you're going back there. Jesus says, I am indeed, and I'm going to go. And the ever happy Thomas says to him, come along then, to the disciples rather, come along, we may as well go and die with him. So there's a threat in going back. So they go. They're not thrilled about it, but they go. And by the time they get to Bethany, Lazarus has been dead for four days. Mary and Martha are surrounded by family and friends and they are in deep, deep mourning. Their hope is gone, and they come out to meet Jesus. And this is what Martha says, John eleven twenty one. Lord, if only note those two words. If only you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. Admire her faith, but hear the if only in her voice. Two words, if only. I have never met anybody who doesn't have an if only. If only I hadn't said those words, if only I hadn't have gone to that meeting, if only I had have gone to the doctors earlier, if only I'd have made a wiser choice, if only I'd have told them I love them, if only I'd have said, please forgive me, if only I hadn't had that abortion. If only I'd have done what my parents asked of me. If only, if only, if only. The list is endless. And Martha has one here. If only you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. And again, I'm raising your hope. I just want to say to you whatever your if only right now, it's never over with God. It's never over with God. There is someone who can bring hope into your if onlys, as we'll see. And you probably know he did here with Lazarus. But she brings her if only's to Jesus. You know what? Jesus can cope with your if only's. You do not have to live in regret. He is here for you. You can cast all your cares onto him. Maybe Martha is thinking, if only I'd gone in person to get Jesus, he would have come. If I'd have gone, rather than just sending the message, if I'd have gone, he would have come. She might have, whatever her if only's. And Jesus says to Martha, Martha, your brother will rise again. And then Martha, she says, yeah, I I know in one day in the sweep by and by one day, because we believe in the hope of resurrection. I know my brother will rise. But that's when Jesus, the game changer, makes this statement. This is usually read at funerals as it should be because it's full of hope. But listen to what Jesus said. This is John 11, 25 and 26. I am. That, that word, I am, is the name that's reserved for God in the Old Testament. Khiawe. It's a very specific name and description of God. I am. Not I will be. So it's not about one day I'll be the resurrection, though you will be. It's I am. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives and believes in me will live and never die. And then he asks this question. Do you believe this? What a staggering claim Jesus is making. No one in history has ever made this claim. No other religious leader, no Buddha, no Mohammed could ever say that. But Jesus is saying, I am the resurrection and the life. So, even in death, there's hope. Always hope with Jesus. And then he asks her this question, which I want to ask you Do you believe this? Do you believe Jesus is the resurrection, the life? I've often used this passage, as I said, in funerals. And I say to people, Don't, don't tell me your grandma has gone to become an angel because she hasn't. If she's a believer, if you believe, you get to partake in the resurrection and the life that's jesus and you get a whole new level of body physical being that's better than an angel's in the age to come do you believe this if someone's a child of god they believe this martha says yes lord i believe you are the christ the son of god who is coming to the world do you believe that do you believe in Jesus, there's an awful lot riding on this question. Eternity, life to the full. Do you believe? Do you believe? Jesus finds Martha's sister Mary, and other mourners, and they're deep in sorrow. They're all crying. They're wailing. And then this is the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. John eleven thirty-five. Don't think of that as just kind of a little sniffle and uh, shedding a little tear. The word that's used there is wail. In fact, there's a wall in Jerusalem, which I've been to, put my prayer in there, and you see some people and hear them. It's called by some people, the wailing wall. Why? Because when there was prayer, or fervent prayer or mourning, there was often a lot of angst and anguish. And Jesus starts to cry. And weave with them. And people have often, this, this, this is before he's going to raise, I'm going to finish the story for you now. This is before he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He knows what's going to happen. Yet still he cries. It's like he's identifying with those that are around who realize they've loved and lost. He cares and he cared for Lazarus and he cares for those that are there. But he knows what's going to happen. I think, just my personal view here, the two days that he delayed, he wasn't that he didn't do nothing. As soon as he heard Lazarus was sick, I think he prayed then and he knew what was going to happen. He knows the beginning from the end. This is, though, him demonstrating his heart for people. Just a few days later, when he looks over Jerusalem, he does see them like, uh, uh, he describes it like, like like your children under my wings, like a hen gathers her chicks and you not willing. And again, he's moved when he sees them unwilling to come to himself. He weeps for the world. I think he weeps for you and me. But then he stands and stops and looks at the tomb. A tomb just like any of the other tombs of the day, which millions of bodies have been laid in before. And here's his request to them remove the stone so the tomb would have a big stone across the front where the body of Lazarus had been laid inside Martha says this to him but Lord by this time there's a bad odor for he's been there four days she knows as soon as they break the seal and remove the stone the stench of death would be unpleasant and the four-day comment is there for a reason There was a Jewish folklore that was around that basically said, after four days, the spirit of the person, the soul, has departed. There's no possibility they are as dead as dead as they're going to be. So in their minds, the spirit has departed. This man is dead. The decomposition would have advanced enough and there would be no hope. As I said a few minutes ago, I don't believe there'd been any decomposition because the prayer had been answered three days ago before Jesus had come to the tomb of Lazarus to ask for the reversing of death in this man's body. The point was, Lazarus was really dead, really dead. But Jesus is not concerned. Listen to what he says. Did they not tell you that if you believed, faith is a powerful uh, tool, you would see the glory of God. He knows what's going to happen. He, he knows when they take away that stone and he says Lazarus' name is going to come out of the tomb. John 11, 40, 41 explains what happens. The wailing stops, everyone stands still, and the stone is rolled away. And this is what Jesus says. This is why I think he'd already prayed for Lazarus' resurrection. Father, I thank you that you've heard me he hasn't said anything yet the father heard him two days ago nothing has moved inside yet but jesus is so confident he knows the father has heard him and jesus thanks his father then an amazing moment lazarus come out it says, he says, I don't know whether he shouted it for dramatic effect. I don't know whether he, he, he whispered it. This is John eleven 43. I'm just working down the passage here. And then he says, Lazarus, come out. Could have been as calm as that. It could have been, Lazarus, come out. Maybe he didn't need to shout. He was just so confident. And Lazarus comes out. And because in those days they would have had wrapped around them grave clothes like bandages of some description cloth and he says to them take off the grave clothes and they have an amazing party to celebrate Lazarus's resurrection now Lazarus was different than Jesus Lazarus had to face another day when he died. When Jesus was resurrected, he was resurrected to never die again. And so even now he's seated at the right hand of the Father and he will return for the living and the dead. So there is a man in heaven, the man Christ Jesus. But Lazarus, in fact, the very next chapter of of the book of John, ironically, it's the religious leaders are making plans to kill Lazarus because there would have come a point where Lazarus would have died. Now, we don't know what happened to him. We don't know whether his life insurance could cover him for a second death. We just don't know. But this is different than it is for others. The ultimate resurrection story, and therefore the ultimate message of hope, is Jesus' story. When Jesus came out of the tomb, the death was finished. This is why I can say, come on, stoke your hope. Let hope rise because Jesus died never to die again when he rose from the dead. That means when death comes for someone who puts their trust in Jesus, for someone who follows him to the end, we can have hope. Maybe someone's listening listened to the sound of my voice. You've lost someone very close to you. There's hope. Maybe you are sick in your own body. There's hope. There's hope of healing in this life. But as I was talking to someone just recently who tragically lost their wife to cancer, he said to me, we know because she was a follower of Jesus is the resurrection, and the life that although she wasn't healed in this life, her body is now free of cancer. And she will have a new resurrection body when Jesus returns because Jesus has paved the way. So we know our prayers were answered, not always in the way we think. There's always hope with Jesus. Jesus brings hope. John Altberg tells a story, going back to the chess analogy, of a pastor, an American, African-American pastor of a congregation in Los Angeles. And he tells a story about two men who were in an art museum and they came upon a painting of a chess game. And one character looked like a man. The other character looked a lot like the devil. And the man is down to his last piece on the chessboard. And the title under the painting is Checkmate. And this man, Bishop Ken Ulmer, tells the story how the two men were looking at this picture and one of the men was an international chess champion and so he's looking from all angles at this painting and his friends getting a little frustrated so he says to his friend go away i just need to look at this and come back in a, in a few minutes so half an hour later so the friend comes back and the man's very excited the, the chess champion he's looking at it and he says i can see something i can see something he says what can you see he says The man's either got to repaint this picture or change the title. He says, well, what what do you mean? He says, well, the king has still got one more move. The king still has one more move. You can guess where that's going. Whatever the devil throws at Jesus, even death itself, the king has one more move. And whatever you're facing right now, here's some good news. The king has one more move. David, King David in the Old Testament, facing Goliath, a giant of a man. All David has, five stones, a small sling. He tried Saul's armour and it didn't fit him. Tried to do it the way people thought it should be done. But he went before Goliath and he remembered how God had delivered him from the lion and the bear when he was looking after his father's sheep in the countryside. And he remembers the lion and he remembers the bear. of so you just remember, need to remember God's deliverance of you in the past. One more move was a stone that David threw with his sling. Hit the giant between the head. David runs forward and uses the, the Goliath's sword to chop off his head. It's always one more move. It's one more move with God. Daniel Refused to listen to the edict of the king and pray to only the king and not worship his God. Refused to, so he got thrown into a lion's den. There with the lions, God saves him so as they didn't want to touch him. They wouldn't touch him in any way. One more move. The king has still one more move. Going down to Judea to see Lazarus cost Jesus his life. And he knew it would. He was eventually taken by the authorities, crucified, put in a grave. But on Good Friday, after they tried and judged him, they whipped and beat him. They mocked and scorned him. They hung him on a cross. But three days later, Easter Sunday, I know it's Christmas we're celebrating, but I can't ever help but think, but the baby that's in that manger, who grows up to be the saviour of the world, dies on a cross. But Easter's always coming, there's always one more move. There's never a checkmate with God. The sting, the king still has one more move. I don't know what challenges you're facing. Maybe at work, maybe your marriage, maybe your children, maybe financial pressures. Maybe you've done the wrong thing, said the wrong thing. Maybe things are going pretty well and you're not in crisis at all. But one day you'll face death, the mortality rate, Still hovers around 100%. We haven't been able to cure that one yet. We never will. But there's one you can put your hope in who's the resurrection, the life. The King still has one more move. My prayer for you this Christmas Christmas offers us hope on a whole nother level. A savior has been born, it tells us in the book of Luke. Everyone needs a savior. It's absolute level ground for every single one of us at that foot of the cross. There's nothing you or I have done that God can't forgive us for or provided a way for us in Jesus. And Christmas tells us, yes, we all need a savior and his name is Jesus because he shall save the people from their sins. My prayer for you is that you would know that savior. I'm gonna pray a prayer that's a prayer of devotion to Jesus. Please use this prayer and pray it out loud wherever you are with me. And then when I've prayed that prayer and we've said amen, we'd love you to get in contact with us. Just contact us. Say, yes, I raised the hand. Yes, I want prayer. Find a church or other believers near you or get in touch with us so that we might help you. Email us at thec3.uk. We'd love to, hello, uh, just put it on that email there. Hello, thec3.uk. We'll get back to you. And then at the end of this prayer, I'm just going to pray for those of you that are facing situations that seem hopeless. But first, let's pray for those of you who use this prayer who would like to give your life to Jesus Christ today. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you're the giver of hope, that you died on that cross for me, that you rose three days later, that you ascended and that you're for me right now. I confess my sins, my wrongdoing. Forgive me. And I ask you to be leader and lord of my life. Fill my life with hope. In your name I pray. Amen. And then let me pray for those of you that are facing situations that seem hopeless. Maybe it's a sickness, Wherever you are, lay your hand on that part of the body that the doctors may have said there's no hope. And let's pray or it may be a situation or you may have a photograph in front of you or something to bring to mind. And I'm going to pray for the miracle of resurrection in those things that seem hopeless in your life. Let's pray. Father, Son and Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are the God of all hope. I pray for any that are sick in their bodies that they'll be healed right now in Jesus name. Pray for any situations that seem hopeless. Let faith rise. Let hope rise. Let the enemies of God be scattered. And let there be restoration of relationships. Let marriages be healed. Let families be restored. Let a wisdom of a plan for financial prosperity come into place. Let there be miracle of healing. Even as I pray, let hope rise. Hope rise. Those that have lost hope, whether it be in this life or for those that have gone, let the hope rise again, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you and thank you for listening. Have a very Merry Christmas. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We pray it's been a blessing to you.